Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Six Degrees of Associations. Uh, I'm your host, Lucas McCann. With me today, Carol Hamilton. Carol is the principal of Grace Social Sector Consulting and also the host of the podcast, Mission Impact. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks for having me on. Well, in no particular order, you can jump in on either consulting or pod. Tell us a little bit more about you know your multiple hats that you're wearing. Yeah, so I've been um, in this in the association space for most of my career, and uh, went out on my own to do consulting um, back in 2018. So I'm now, I guess it's what my seventh or eighth year. I'm not sure. Not, yeah. Math is not necessarily my my strong suit. So. <laughs> Or at least not in the moment. Um, a spreadsheet is help is helpful for that. I have a background in organization development and really enjoy helping organizations be more effective and how teams can come together and and really work effectively together. And uh, when I did the um, I don't know, folks are familiar with the Strengths Finder or the Clifton Strengths. Mm -hmm. I noticed that. I don't know, maybe four out of five of my top five are in the strategy cluster. So uh, strategic planning is definitely, um, and strategy work with organizations is really what I focus on. And um, back in 2020, I started the podcast Mission Impact to have the chance to talk to a variety of different um, folks that serve associations and nonprofits. Um, in a variety of ways and just learn about how they're helping organizations um, become more strategic to have build healthier cultures. And the tag, the tagline for the podcast is for, it's for uh, uh, nonprofit leaders who want to do good in the world, but don't want to be a martyr to the cause. So uh, trying to, to um, bring that message to folks. That's great. We'll check it out. Um, where can we find the, the pod? It's on all the different platforms, um, mission, mission, colon, impact. So Awesome. We'll come back to that in a bit. Well, so strategic planning um, within the association space can be unique. Um, how, did you, how did you get into first associations? Associations? Well, I, I guess I've pretty much, once I moved into the nonprofit sector, I've always worked for some kind of membership organization, uh, whether it was a early on a, a um, organization, a coalition of organizations that was working on anti-poverty, uh, worked with another organization that that had a um, member organizations around the country that were serving women uh, transitioning back into the workforce and. A uh, variety of different grant maker association, higher ed, ed associations. So, um, just always enjoyed, uh, you know, when people come together to do something, um, there's always strength in numbers. And I think the the biggest thing that, uh, you know, certainly during the pandemic, we all were reminded of is how much of a social. A creature we are and um, how those connections are so important. And so anytime I talk to an organization or people in an organization, um, you know, if that organization were to go away, likely someone else, you know, a few doors down doing the same thing would think, well, wouldn't it be good if I could talk to other people who do the same thing as me? And wouldn't it be great if I could compare my experience and maybe I, you know, so we talked to some more people and they, they'd recreate the organization um, because we, we want to be able to uh, not be lonely in the work that we do. 
Yeah, that definitely taught us some of those lessons or or brought to light things that were already apparent. Um, It also brought to light that period, the the need for strategic planning. I think previously I saw a lot of associations who would do a strategic plan every five, sometimes seven years. And I mean, it's a little bit laughable if you think about you're going to be able to predict where you're going to be in seven years to any degree of accuracy, right? So this idea was always out there that you need to do this more often. And and what is, so what is now generally recommendation when you work with an association client that they should do this how many years, every how many years? Well, yeah, first I would say, I, I would I would say that strategic planning isn't, isn't actually about trying to predict the future. Um, it's about setting your direction and your course of where you're, you're trying to go. Generally, I'm finding that um, organizations are looking at a three or five year horizon, that that seems to be like a comfortable amount of time to think about. Um, and you're really just setting your intentions about, okay, you know, we want to work on this problem, we want to work on this opportunity, and, um, you know, setting some goals on on how you want to move the organization forward. But recognizing, and I talk to, talk to um, folks all the time about the fact that no one can predict the future. We, you know, if we, if we didn't figure that out over the last couple of years, I don't know what we've been doing. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean that you have to only be in a reactive stance. So it's a both and. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't predict it. I I jokingly say you can help mold it. um, And you can certainly from an association standpoint, have a large impact. And I've heard a lot of people when I ask them what's kept them in associations, that is a big factor, right? The, the fact that associations are small businesses with big impact um, and not just in their industry, but in a larger sense, the association community, the global economy and a lot of things. So I think the strategic planning is really important and there's lots of other factors. It's not just what are we gonna do for our members to make them better. But I, I think I've had a lot more conversations recently about things like uh, social impacts and how associations should be considering and weaving parts of that into your strategy. I know we talked a little bit about the show um, and we would consider those some of those to be non-traditional, but tell us, tell us a little bit about your approach to some of those other factors that associations you know, need to be thinking about in that in that time and space. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the big things is to 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 look more widely, look out beyond um, the organization itself. And, you know, certainly knowing what your board is thinking, knowing what your staff is thinking, knowing what your members and different segments of your members are thinking about the organization, what it offers and its strengths and challenges is really important. But then going that next step further and really thinking about what's the ecosystem that you're within. None of us are doing this um, in isolation. So, you know, who are the organizations, who who's around you, who's complementary um, to the work that you're doing, who might you partner with? But then also looking at those bigger trends of what are the big trends, you know, economically, politically, et cetera. Um, and then which ones are really impacting our our industry or our field uh, and and what what do we need to think about in terms of those that uh, will impact how we choose you know what choices we make as we want to you know mold our future going forward as you said in your approach you know sort of the the pre-work right before you actually get in the room and start talking through the tactical things 
how do you start to help them guide the conversation before the conversation? Well, yeah, I think that's another misconception that strategic planning is just about that meeting in a room or now uh, over a series of, of Zoom meetings where you're having those big conversations about those trends and then how do we imagine our future and what decisions we want to make. But really to be ready for that and to have it be a productive and useful conversation um, I always will do a listening tour, essentially, where I'm talking to stakeholders, you know, one-on-one -on -one interviews, focus groups, surveys, a combination of those. And I will have worked with a, a strategic planning task force to identify who are all those key stakeholders to the organization. So, um, and it's usually a combination of those internal stakeholders and then also who are the external stakeholders that they need to be hearing from. And so, then doing the work to synthesize all that and kind of hold the mirror up to everyone of, okay, here's what you're seeing as kind of the current state of the organization and then also your your uh, collective aspirations as well as the things that you you know you think are areas for for improvement or growth. And oftentimes I find that um, you know leaders may be concerned about really hearing from all of those those voices and kind of, afraid of perhaps it's going to be this just cacophony of like so many, <laughs> so many opinions. Um, but typically what I find is that there's a lot more agreement and commonality across what I'm hearing from people than, than people necessarily expect. So they get into the room, they hear that set of findings, those themes, and there's kind of a sigh of relief of, oh, I'm not the only one thinking that. Okay, now we can get it out on the table. We can actually have a conversation about it, and um, you know, decide how we want to move forward. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, a term that our consultant we work with an outside consultant. We can't just we got to talk. We got to walk the walk over here if we're going to be consultants. <laughs> we also have to be able to lean on consultants. And we've worked with one for years, and he's got a great term, and that is simply take the feedback but don't swallow it. Right there, you Weigh go. It weigh it before you actually internalize it. And I think for those people who do just take everything in, it can be too much, right? You have to weigh it, consider it um, before you figure out what you're going to do with it. But there could be a lot of opinions there. There could be a lot of opinions, but I'm always looking for the the common themes across opinions. Although, you know, when you're when you're looking at also trying to integrate uh, kind of an equity lens to the the strategic planning process in that discovery process, you may also be, um, you know, having folks. Uh, give their perspectives from the social identities that they represent, whether they're white or African-American, black, uh, Hispanic, um, and to understand what their experience, if they're a person with a disability, what their experience of the organization is as well. And so um, being able to bring that information to the fore and uh, be able to represent that, and sometimes that will mean that it's not just kind of what's the majority of what we're hearing, but what are also some of the outliers that may not be part of that dominant narrative that, that people also need to be able to hear if they wanna work towards being a more inclusive organization and help people feel that sense of belonging that, that most associations are trying to really uh, cultivate. Yeah, I, absolutely. That was, a, that was a big statement and how the, the tactical part of that, the difficult part of that is then understanding how to take action 
on what you've heard uh, to the degree of which people want to be heard and you want to be able to react um, appropriately and proportionally and all of the things. But, but it starts with just allowing people to have that voice. Allowing people to have that voice and creating spaces where they feel comfortable to share their real yeah. experience, because that very, is very not, not not always the case. And, um, you know, safety is a relative thing. So maybe not safety. Maybe it feels they feel supported enough yeah. um, to be able to to be able to share honestly about what their experience has been. But I also would say that if an organization um, hasn't done any work around diversity, equity, and inclusion, or or very is very early in their journey, trying to then immediately put it into their strategic planning process may uh, be more challenging, and they may actually need to kind of take a few steps back and do some foundational work around um, where are they in terms of their uh, journey. Um, and so it, it it's going to be one of those uh, consultant, it depends of whether how you approach that. Oh, don't say <laughs> we it. said don't we say wouldn't it. say that, but I, but I, but that's one where I have to. You said that was off limit, but there, there's an appropriate time and place for it. I believe that was yeah. it. Yeah. Well, so you've been um, consulting association space, as we said, for some years now. We didn't do the math, but that's okay. We won't. Uh, we'll leave that to Excel, as we said. And you've had the opportunity now to watch some of your work sort of post-mortem. Are there things that you can point to that once you leave that engagement um, that you can point to again that make associations more successful at accomplishing what they said was going to be accomplished in that, again, time and space? Well, I think it you know goes back to that beginning piece of who are you including in the process and whose voice are you listening to so that at the end of the process, when you've made decisions about we're going to do X, Y, Z, people are actually excited and see themselves in that plan so that they do want to um, put it into to uh, and actually move it to operationalizing it. So um, I think it's foundational, but, uh, you know, depending on the organization, they dealt with with different issues and, um, you know, some getting ready to go through a leadership transition. And so what are all the things that they need to do around there and seeing them move that forward or, you know, improving their volunteer experience that they realized that they had an old model that worked you know, 10, 20 years ago, but they really needed to simplify and create new group, you know, additional groups to split up the work and make it more feasible for today's realities. So it's, you know, each of those, what it, what are they going to do is going to be particular to the organization. But, um, you know, and I'm always trying to help the group find a, a nice balance or kind of that Goldilocks point of between aspirational and realistic. So they're pushing themselves a bit. It's not mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, business as usual, but it's also not so far out in the future or so aspirational that it really has no connection to the current capacity of the organization. So because with that, people also don't feel like they can make progress and they don't they, you know, get discouraged easily. So it's finding that nice kind of balance between the two um, so that you are pushing yourselves and moving forward in a, in a positive direction, but one that you also can start celebrating those small wins early on. Yeah, well said. 
I think at, at the risk of uh, possibly offending folks in membership and events and development and other areas of the association, this is where I feel like marketing really can shine. Like it is the communications aspect of to all the people who we could include as many people or all the people that make sense to be in that space of strategic planning. But then it's really the role of marketing to help everybody understand what, not what we're doing, but why we're doing it, right? There's a, there's a basis of conversation that goes into strategic planning that talks about, or should talk about, why do we want to do this? What are we really about? And if that piece is missed, that seems pretty important. If you just start running out of the gate, coming from that meeting going, well, here's all the things we're going to do. And without it, without clarity. And I think the other thing that can can trip organizations up is when they 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 don't spend enough time really prioritizing um, at, at some part in the process, whether it's the end of that meeting or, you know, the next meeting. Um, and so they end up with that laundry list of, of things that, that they're supposedly going to do. And it's so many things that it, you know, none of it gets done. And then folks are like, why did we even bother to do strategic planning? Well, you got to do the decision part. You got to do the prioritization part and do the focus part so that uh, you know uh, where you're putting your energy. And then, yeah, as you said, that communication piece is super important. And then I would also say, like, the folks that you talked to at the beginning, they may not all be um, in the planning meeting with you. But to me, I, you know, I at least it's my belief that you're 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 better off and have uh, more likelihood of a success if you include both your board and your staff because they each bring their own perspective um, to the conversation and by having them involved they also learn a huge amount about each other about the work each other does their roles and um it's a huge it's actually a huge uh professional development opportunity for everyone involved yeah do you uh, maybe not but do you have an example just at your fingertips here on where you're able to bring maybe a board and a staff together and, and what was learned. And again, sanitize that as much as you need to for, for purposes of um, keeping things confidential. Yeah, no, I, I generally do do that as much as possible. And so, you know, throughout the conversation, you know, I, I think the, the traditional way is the board, the staff sits outside the circle, the board is in the inner circle, the staff sits and listens. And, you know, when I'm working with groups, well, one, we're trying to get out of that U shape or off the away from the board table and in small groups and having conversations, you know, and mixing people up. So they're not always talking to the same person. And, um, you know, ultimately, the board is responsible for setting that direction. But the to the extent that they can be informed of the on the ground realities of how is how is this actually going to happen? It really um, enriches everybody's uh, perspective. And, you know, I've had people who come in and say, well, I'm a new board member. I'm not going to be able to contribute to this at all. And by the end, um, well, one, it's not true because they have that beginner's that beginner's perspective of why do we why have we always done this this way? Why why are we doing this or that or the other? Which um, you know those those quote innocent questions can really open up some really wonderful conversations about that why that you talked about, and um, everybody has a better understanding of the organization as a totality, as a holistic totality by the end of that process because of those conversations. Yeah. 
So let me ask you another question, and I'm, I'm going to take the answer. It depends off the table. Okay, okay so this okay. one's not an answer. You have to answer it. Um, <laughs> what do you, What do you typically recommend in a strategic planning uh, in terms of how many larger strategic initiatives should an organization come out of that with? Oh yeah, this is not one where I have an it depends. Okay, um, good. <laughs> my my rule is uh, no more than five, three, okay. you know, two, three to five. Um, and when organizations come up with too many, I've I've actually done you know done things where we've done a forced ranking where we got to decide what's the most important because I think that's the the easiest. You know, nonprofits associations. My experience has been, at least, they're very good people. They want to do all the things, it's right. and it's hard to um, set one set of stakeholders maybe in front of another um, or set priorities. But without that, um, everyone's just swimming in too much, and and they can't make the progress that they that they want to make. And then they wonder, then they blame it on strategic planning instead of blaming it on you actually didn't set any priorities. Yeah. And as long as you have um, a good, logical, reasonable group of folks, that's my favorite part is, okay, everybody, let's share some ideas. And the way that we would do it is let's everybody kind of put something out there to a degree. And then let's start to consolidate. Okay, that actually falls under the same umbrella. But then my favorite part is actually when we get down to like seven and we needed to get it to five. <laughs> and there's some good, there's some good, sometimes difficult conversation but it forces, to your point, the conversation of, well, what's really most important? Is this really going to have the impact on the association, organization, and members that we really want? And ultimately, to the same degree, you got to make a decision. We have to make yeah. a decision of yeah. one has to be. There's no such thing as, as equal there. Yeah. Um, right. You've got to make some choices because all of us are are operating within resource constraints, no matter how you know, well-resourced the organization is, is there's still limits. Um, what, what can you do reasonably with the resources, the human resources, the, the other resources that you have at your disposal and, and reasonably move things forward. So got to make some choices and now yeah, they can be hard choices, but, um, yeah. ultimately when you ask up, people right? to rank, yeah, the, the dreaming part is fun. Um, yeah. what if we could do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've in our smart organization, we've even had some suggestions like, what if we sponsored Super Bowl ads? I'm like, okay, that really is the magic. That really is using the magic wand there. Okay, that was a little bit far, but I like the creativity. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's just helpful to be like we talked about the why, but it's also helpful in each step of the process to remind people where you are. Like, okay, for this next hour, 90 minutes, whatever it is, we're gonna go, we're gonna dream big. Not all these things are going to end up in the final plan, but don't, right. you know, because you can't from your from your creativity perspective in your brain, you actually can't imagine and go large and call at the same time. So you have to kind of do those as a one step and the next step. But yeah. being clear about what you're doing at any point really helps the conversation. I think that's an important I mean, we're, we're kind of joking about it, but it is an important part of the exercise. But only, again, if it's coupled with inclusion, because people dream at different levels and people dream different dreams. And so if you don't get it all out there, you're really missing, a, 
and sometimes a key part. And so, you know, if you go around and you sort of make people participate, right, tell me what you're thinking and not saying, sometimes those are the best ideas. Well, and creating some different opportunities for people to participate in, in a variety of different ways. So, you know, there are some folks who are comfortable, um, you know, brainstorming off the cuff. They're going to be the first one to jump in with an idea. Um, if you're always in the whole group, you're probably only going to hear from a third of the group. You're not going to hear mm -hmm. from the other two thirds. So right. getting people into smaller groups, mixing them up, giving them opportunities to work individually. And, and have some time to think, um, as well as, you know, group conversation. So doing all of those different things really creates more opportunity for people to step in and, and um, share what, they, what they're thinking. So you're not just doing it all in one way that favors one, you know, one, uh, one per type of person who, who will show up in a meeting, so... Yeah, and the, and the power of the small group really shouldn't surprise most folks, if you think about it. I mean, friendship works the same way. You don't share your deepest, darkest secrets with, you know, the group. Um, but you have a few close friends that you can call at any time, tell them anything. And the smaller that circle gets, you know, the more you the more you share just in general. Right, right. And I mean, generally, I'll be having people work in a variety of different small groups. So they, they also have a chance to get to know each other better um, and, and connect as people um, through the process as well. Yeah. So shifting gears, um, tell, us, tell us more about the podcast. How did that come to be? What's, uh, what was the inspiration? What's, what does the guest list look like? What do you all talk about? Yeah, so the inspiration um, was actually at, a, at an association conference. I was uh, uh, listening to a panel of people who are all getting close to the end of their careers and say what they were thinking about their legacy and um, what they wanted to share with new people coming up. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to be like one, I was in the spot where I was doing a lot of actual informational interviews because I was, I was kind of going through that um, uh, career transition to consulting. And um, I thought, well, I'm doing all these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. Wouldn't it be great if I also shared it with others? And so that was the inspiration for the podcast. And since then, it's broadened a lot from, you know, not just people, uh, you know, at the end of their careers with all of that experience. I've, I've mm -hmm. um, talked to a wide range of uh, folks at different stages, um, all who do uh, work uh, supporting organizations in a variety of different ways through consulting with associations and nonprofits from, you know, other people who do strategic planning, people who work on equity work, people who help organizations, you know, do more around equitable compensation, uh, fundraising, sponsorships, I mean, all the different areas, membership to, to, and it's been fun for me to just get a peek into other people's worlds and learn about their perspectives. And I think the thing that's that um, really, that I've taken away from so many of the conversations is how um, the work that we do, the work that associations do at its core is all, it's just all boils down to relationships. You were talking about mm -hmm. those friendships, right? It all boils down to how are relating, how are we relating to each other as humans, and uh, what can we do together? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it is a relationship-based industry. I mean, folks that we have brought into the um, the association market from one of the organizations, um, that's the first thing I tell people is, you know, they want to get in and talk about the strategy and the sales cycle and all these other things. And you just, if you don't have the relationship, I tell you, it's just going to take some time. Uh, and associations take time anyway. Sure. <laughs> it's not a fast-paced, you know, tech-driven world. Um and, no, I mean, you know, it's, I remember... it's, it's moving at the at the pace of trust and at the speed of trust and at the speed of relationship, really. Yeah, and that's very difficult. It's not something you force along, right? You can't force trust. It's, no. it's built, it's fortified, it, it takes time. Um, and unfortunately, anyway. you know, a few, you go in the wrong direction a few times, it's easily lost. Absolutely. So. I remember years ago, um, Deidre Daniel used to run a session at ASE annual meeting. It was um, essentially how to sell to associations. And the room was packed. I mean, there would be people all, you know, just to the brim, to the walls, spilling out into trying to get in this session. And at the end of the day, that was the answer, right? It was an mm -hmm. hour long session to tell you essentially how to build long-term relationships. Right. Don't think that you're just going to come in and, and spark a flame uh, and everything's just going to you know, happen overnight. It, it takes sometimes a decade or more. Right. Right. Building that trust, building that, uh, you know, uh, having, ha having people have a chance to get to know you showing up, um, being, being trustworthy, being reliable. Yeah. All of those things. Well, what else? Um, I have plenty of, you know, kind of stories that I think I've taken from my podcast. Do you have anything that stuck out that, Things that you learned along the way are just good stories. Um, I mean, <laughs> the funny the funny ones are always when uh, the the topic actually interests me too much and we go way too long, and then <laughs> I really. <laughs> I, I've been nerding out way too much with XYZ person about the ins and outs of uh, what they do and how it impacts organizations. So, um, but I do, I do love hearing the stories and uh, just, you know, getting, getting a window into other people's worlds. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. Well, what type of things does Carol like to nerd out to? Oh, you know, like my not math one, on the spot. We learned. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, this one, the one actually had had a lot had a, a, does have a lot of spreadsheets in it. It was all around equitable um, compensation, uh, but some of the conversations that um, the the person who does that was having organizations have was was much more than just um, you know who's being paid, but. What are all the different factors that need to be considered in um, how you build a compensation policy and, uh, you know, the things that aren't necessarily on a job description, but are the factors that all those that relationship building, that emotional labor that people have to do to, um, you know, to, to manage all of that feedback that we talked about at the beginning and receiving it and receiving it graciously. Um, yeah. And so it was really fascinating to think way beyond, I think, the traditional way that that uh, kind of human resources has thought about those mm -hmm. things and what takes what what in, encompasses a job. Um, so that was a fascinating conversation for sure. I've learned um, throughout this conversation, Carol, that we're a bit of kindred spirits here and that I think we both like to solve the big, complex problems. <laughs> Maybe the bigger, the bigger, the more fun. 
Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's it's good to to walk away with some concrete things. If you're always up in the big arena, then sometimes it can feel like, well, are we really making progress? So well, that's coming fair. back you have to, to land the plane, I don't want to get... be all you know philosophical. <laughs> I you know I want to get somewhere and accomplish something and, and yeah. make sure that we have a plan. Um, but that starting point of pulling in all of these different elements to make us get to that reasonable, rational, logical path forward. I, I think we share that. That's fine. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I always uh, have the unfortunate task of uh, wrapping us up in these episodes, but I, I would love to hear, Carol, is there somebody in your network that you think um, our audience would benefit from hearing from? Yeah, I would definitely recommend my colleague, uh, Danielle Marshall. Um, of Culture Principles. Um, she's worked, you know, in the nonprofit sector and association sectors and just brings a wealth of knowledge and perspective. So I would recommend Danielle. Wonderful. Look forward to the conversation. And Carol, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was great. I appreciate it. <laughs>